Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Before we start the show, I want to let you know something. My latest novel, Personal Fable, is free for the next uh, few days. So if you're hearing this ad, it's currently free if you're a Kindle user. So just look it up on your Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can even get one of those for free by getting the free Kindle app on your phone. And then head over, get Personal Fable, have a read, and if you love it, leave a review. And I hope you love the story. Now, let's get on with the podcast. P.S. The promotion runs the 11th, 12th and 13th of March. <coughs> Welcome back. Hemming Brainiacs to the pod. Uh, we're talking about chapter 15. Which, from memory, I didn't like. Um, I have a vague memory of writing a very heated discussion prompt yesterday. Um, where are we here? Chapter 15, what did I say? What have I said? What have I done? Um, prompts. Easily. The worst writing I've ever seen. And ironically, in it, he goes on about how bad someone else's writing is. Is this a prank book? Like, is he taking the piss? Or has the world actually produced people this dumb? George, from the absolute bottom of my heart, I effing hate you. (laughs) Wow, okay, so I didn't like this chapter. It was just, like, he's been going on for how many chapters now? Five, ten, I don't know, um, about just this thing about, you know, there's never been a good Catholic novel or whatever. And like, frick, like, frick, man, for real, frick. Does it, like, no one cares about what you're saying right now. Shut up with it. Um, I did laugh at the bit where his punching bag, this guy he's talking to, was like, "Yo, I have to go to bed now." You know, when somebody, when you just, when someone just talks to you until you're like, "Hey, dude, I'm going to, I'm in bed. You've been talking to me since this morning. I'm now in bed. I'm closing my eyes. You need to stop talking to me." Um, it was that was how it was. The guy's just like, "Hey, I got to go to bed." And then cut to, like, the next sentence. It was like, good morning, punching bag. Anyway, I was, as I was saying, hey, listen. You know, he just goes straight back at him. The dude's even like, hey, can I just have some breakfast first? And George is just like, yeah, sure, whatever, but I'm not stopping talking. I'm I'm going to continue talking while you get your breakfast and, and while you eat your breakfast. Just, <clears throat> and this is him writing the account. And even in writing it, he does not realize how uh, what's the word tedious he is like just surely in recounting that episode he must have realized what he was doing who he was being don't be that guy george techrific says a more apt title for this book would be the big yawn with the subheading of or how i managed to bore my friends to death (laughs) i agree um, it's a rec- it's, he's recounting the time that he spoke to his friend and that even in that time it was apparent 
that his friends were not that interested in what he was saying. So why would anyone be interested in a recount of what he was saying? Chapter 16. A telegram, sir. Will you please get the colonel's room ready and tell him, when he arrives, that I shall not be free for a couple of hours? I'm busy with the lake, and about half past four I went down to the dining room and found him in an armchair surrounded by books, imaginary portraits, Evelyn Inners, Wild Wales, and a book of Irish folk tales, and he was reading Strauss's Life of Jesus. He makes some very good points, he said, and I encouraged him to continue in his appreciation of Strauss's skill as a dialectician, but on pressing him to say that the book was influencing him, he said that his mind had been made up long ago. Hang on one second, I just want to have a look how long this chapter is. Is it particularly long? Oh, here it is. Prepare it is longish. I don't think I'm going to do a whole chapter. I'm just going to do a halfy. Um, because I'm not feeling a full chapter. Uh, then you are merely reading languidly without taking sides. A cricket match seen from the windows of a railway train. That's about all. To read without drawing conclusions is fatal, and we have known men and women in our youth who could neither read nor write, but who were clever at their trades, far cleverer than those who have come after them. Mahomet could neither read nor write. Forcible education is one of the follies of the century, I continued. We are agreed on that. For how can you educate forcibly? Education demands a certain acquiescence. Tea was brought in, and the colonel said he had come up for a meeting of the Kuisd Nertha and must go back on Saturday. On Saturday, I must get back to look after the men. Your Sawyers, I suppose Paddy Walsh, wants some rafters for his barn. No, there's the garden. Kavanagh is a splendid vegetable grower, but he doesn't understand the fruit trees. I have to look after them myself. The meeting be- begins at eight. Would you mind if we were to dine at seven or a little before? It was irritating to be asked to change the hour of dinner for the sake of so futile a thing as a meeting of the Kuznetha. And though I replied, of course, I could not refrain from adding, in fifty years' time no one will speak Irish unless you procure a parrot and teacher. Parrots live a long while, an Irish-speaking poly in a hundred years' time. What do you think, Maurice? And about that time, Christianity will be extinct. The colonel laughed good-humouredly. He hustled himself into his old yellow overcoat and went away, leaving me disconcerted, irritated against him, and still more against myself, for it is impossible not to feel that I was abominably unsympathetic to other people's ideas. But am I? Only when phantoms are cherished because they are phantoms. We are all liable to mistake the phantom for reality. I followed the Irish language for a while, but as soon as I discovered my mistake, I retracted my steps. Not so the colonel. He knows at the bottom of his heart that the Irish language cannot be revived, that it would take 200 years to revive it, and that even if it were revived, nothing would come of it unless Ireland dropped Catholicism. The lamp burned brightly on the table, and rising from the armchair to light a cigar, I caught sight of my face and wondered at my anger against my brother, a sort of incoherent interior rumbling expressing itself in single words and fragments of sentences. An evil self seemed to be stirring within me, and 
Was it that part of our nature which lurks in a distant corner of our being and sometimes breaks its chain and overpowers the normal self which we are pleased to, to regard as our true self? Everyone has experienced the sensation of spiritual forces at war within himself, and, but does anyone ever suspect that the abnormal self which has come up to the surface and is influencing him may be influencing him for his good at all events, for some purpose other than the generally received one, the desire to lead poor human nature into temptation, the Christian idea of horns and hooves and tails has been rammed into us so thoroughly that we seldom cease to be Christians, but I must have nearly ceased to be one in the evening I am describing, for I, I seemed to be aware all the while that there were good was good purpose behind my anger at my brother's untidy mind, I was not certain what adjective to apply to it, untidy, unfinished, prejudiced. He reads Strauss's Life of Jesus, admitting that no proofs, however conclusive, would persuade him that the son of Mary and Joseph was anything else but the son of God. Christ never said that he was, and I suppose he knew. Even St. Paul never spoke of him as God. How precisely I can see that brother of mine, I cried, surprised myself at the clearness with which I remembered the long pear-shaped head with some fine lines in it, but too narrow at the temples, I muttered, and the eyes are vague and lacking in the light of any great spiritual conviction, and they tell the truth, for has he not admitted to me that substantially the host does not change, and the rest is merely whatever philosophical idea you like to attach to it. Worse still, he said, that the decrees the Pope issues affecting excommunication do not interest him in the least, and this proves him to be a heretic. A modernist. He always eats meat on Friday. Of course, he may have obtained a dispensation to eat the chicken as well as the egg, but I am not at all sure that he acquiesces in precisely rule enough to apply for a dispensation. And I began to wonder how long it was since his last confession. When the bishop questioned the parish priest on the subject, the colonel was very angry and said it was hitting below the belt. He did not go to Mass when he came to see me in Dublin until I reproached him for neglect of his duties, and then he never failed afterwards to step away to Westland Row. His white hair blowing over the collar of his old yellow overcoat never failed while I was in the house, but when I left it, he remained in bed, so I have been told he may have been ill, but I don't believe it. There has always been a vein of humbug in the depths of his deeply affectionate nature. When he was a little child of four or five, he was caught with his fingers in the jam pot, but instead of saying I took the jam because I liked it, he fled to his mother and flung himself into her arms, begging of her not to believe the nurse, crying, I am your own innocent yam, lamb. The colonel's key in the lock interrupted my thoughts, and there was before me, overflowing with Anecdote, his hilarity, and as unpleasing as it was surprising, high spirits, still ill upon the constitutionally sad, and the humorous, sententious, and very trying at times. His chatter about the doings of the League seemed endless, and I felt that I could not abide the family attitude into which he at once fell. The hand fell in front of the fire, the elbow resting on the knee. The colonel had fattened in the face since his last visit. Everybody should cultivate a kindly patience, imitating A.E., who, while going his way, can watch others going theirs, without seeming invidious or disdainful. 
but A.E. was born with a beautiful mind and can pass a criticism on a copy of Bad Verses and send the poet home unwounded in his self-respect. He will never change. He knows himself to be immortal and is content to overlook or claim my periodical aggressiveness as part of my character, but not being as wise as A.E. I would alter myself if I could. How often... Have I tried? In vain, in vain, we are what we are, for better or worse, and there are no stepping stones, except in bad verses. Enough of myself, and back to the colonel. He was telling me how one orator's loquacity had driven his supporters out of the room, and when the amendment was put there, there was nobody to support it. The incident amused me for a moment, and then a sudden sense of triviality of the proceedings boiled up in my mind. Of course, I said, the amendment you speak of was invaluable and its loss a great blow to the movement. But tell me, do you propose to spend the rest of your life coming up from Mayo to listen to these fellows chattering about the best means of reviving a language which the few who can speak it are ashamed to speak, or have fallen out of the habit of speaking, like Alec MacDonald and his wife? I've never been... I've never denied that the difficulties are very great. But of what would the language be to anybody if it could be revived? Prayers, I have often said, are equally valuable in whatever language they may be said. The colonel smiled a little contemptuously, and his smile irritated me still further. As I have said a thousand times, unless Ireland causes to be, ceases to be Catholic, that question has been gone into. Gone into, but you've never been able to explain why there is so little Catholic literature. It must be clear to everybody that dogma draws a circle around the mind. Within the circle, you may think, but outside of it, your thoughts may not stray, an acorn planted in a pot. Even if what you say be true, it seems to me that the small languages should be preserved. You are in favour of the movement till... There's no use going over the whole argument again. You've tried to bring up your children, Irish speakers, and failed. The colonel laughed, for he could not deny that he had failed in this respect. They must have professions. You would like other people to sacrifice their children's chances of life for the sake of the Irish language, but you are not prepared to go as far as you would like others to go. You will only go halfway. How is that? You bring them up Catholics. The younger is in the convent school, and the elder is now with the Jesus. I don't think that our father would have approved of the narrow, bigoted education which they are receiving. I cannot see why. He never disapproved of the religious order. You must feel that the atmosphere of a convent isn't manly and will rob the mind of something, warp or bias in it in a direction, or which you don't approve, of which you don't approve. It seems to me that the mind of the child should be allowed to grow up more naturally. You can't let a boy grow up naturally. He must be brought up in some theory of what is right and wrong. Now, I ask why my children should be taught your right and wrong rather than mine. I admit that they must be taught something. Once you admit that, it seems to me that the parent is the proper person. It all depends on what you mean by teaching. The Jesus says, give me the boy till he is 14 and I don't care who gets him after. And his words mean that they don't, they mind shall be so crushed that he will forever remain dependent. I don't know if you remember a story our mother used to tell of a beggar woman who went about Ireland with four or five blind children their eyes resembling the eyes of those who were born blind so closely that every occultist, oculist, was deceived. But one day, a child crying attracted attention, but it was discovered that the mother had 
tied walnut shells over his eyes, and in each shell was a beetle. The scratching of the beetle on the eyeball produced the appearance of natural blindness, an ingenious method part, no doubt, of the common folklore of Europe, come down to us from the Middle Ages when the courts of kings had to, had to be kept supplied with dwarfs, eunuchs, buffoons, amusing disfigurements where the fashion and high prices were paid for them. We are too sensitive to hear even how a permanent leer may be put on a child's face, but we are very much interested in the crushing, I would say, the moulding of child children's minds, and all over Europe, the Jesus are busy preparing monstrosities for the courts of heaven. My dear George, St. Francis of Assisi and St. Teresa, whom you admire so much, were prepared for heaven in the Catholic religion, and there are others, St. John of the Cross is one, to whom I am sure you will graciously extend your admiration. To them, certainly much rather than to the inevitable Aquinas, but those you mention belong to the Middle Ages. Not so, St. Teresa. The Middle Ages existed in Spain long after St. Teresa, for the burning of heretics went on till the end of the 18th century. Religions, the world, is littered with religions. They grow, flourish and die, and if you can't see that Christianity is dying... The Colonel spoke of revivals. After each revival, I said, it grows fainter. You would be dead long ago if it hadn't been that children are taken young and their minds crushed. The Jesus have admitted that that is so. Give me the child, they cry. Toby has learnt nothing from the nuns except a shocking accent. And Rory is learning very little and dislikes the Jesus. I'm thinking of sending him to the Benedictines. Monks or priests, it's all the same. You know how worthless the education was which we received at Oscott. There was none. I admit that priests don't seem to be very good educationalists. Then why have your sons educated by priests? Priests are in all the Catholic schools, but there are excellent Protestant schools. And bring them up Protestants? Why not? You, an agnostic... Protestantism is harmless, as I have often pointed out to you. It leaves the mind free, or nearly free. I can understand that you, who seem constitutionally incapable of seeing anything in life but art, should prefer agnosticism, but I don't understand your proposing of Christian dogma for my children that you yourself don't believe in. Don't you? Would you like to hear it? Very much. Uh, okay. Well, I wouldn't very much like to hear it, so that is where we're going to pause tonight. Um, thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.